words. Our own words. Our own words. Welcome to Our Own Words, the series where I talk to residents in two remote rural communities in Scotland's South Lanarkshire. I invite them to tell me what they really think about various issues in their own words. And this week, we'll be discussing environment and climate change, how it's affected these rural communities, whether it matters, and how much small communities like Lead Hills and Kuta can and do make a difference on the global stage. I'll also be talking to the Scottish Government Minister for Environment, Biodiversity and Land Reform, Mary McCallan, who also happens to be the local MSP for these two communities. But first... Meet Octavia. She's one of the rescued hedgehogs at the Lead Hills Hedgehog Sanctuary. We'll be joining the children of Lead Hills School on a visit to the sanctuary later on. But let's begin by asking some of the older residents how well informed they feel about the issues surrounding climate and environment. I'm probably pretty well informed just because I'm a teacher, so I'm kind of having to teach that to others about it and and certainly my kids are really on the ball with what's going on in the planet and you know it's they're very much no don't put that in that bin put it in that bin recycling and all sorts of things so they are very aware I'm not saying we're ill informed but I'm afraid I don't really dwell on it too much Mm. except what it is I mean and I don't think it worries me as much as I should be worrying about it. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen, and I don't actually get too uh, hate up about it. I'm pretty aware of it. Where do you get that information? Um, reading, um, television, radio. <laughs> you can't miss it if you pick up your cartons or, <laughs> or tins or boxes and see um, whether they're disposable or non-disposable. With the children of Lead Hills and Kuta schools both looking at environmental issues as part of what they're learning, I wonder, do they think older generations understand as much as they do? I think they know more now, definitely, because there's all these protests and that, which is good, trying to save the planet. Do you think anyone is to blame for climate change? think anyone in particular really just how like everybody's done it the past few years they never really knew they won't understand it as well but we can teach them that it's a very important thing and it can hurt our planet they'll eventually learn that what they did back then they thought was good and they couldn't really stop it because they didn't know that it was bad but we could teach them now that it's bad and they shouldn't do it anymore. When my mum was a kid, it just wasn't as bad as it is now because now more and more plastic is being made for like toys or like wrapping for like food and all that. And do you think anyone is to blame for climate change or do you think it's an accident? I don't really think it's a, or it might be an accident, but I don't know who started it, but it probably should stop really soon of using plastic. Otherwise, for instance, like if they have kids, it's going to ruin their hmm. future for their kids and grandchildren. 
Do you think old people still have old ideas or do you think they've changed? Well, maybe they still think of it. Some people try to keep it the same way, but some people are very nice and like try to not think of it like that and try to think of new ideas that are better for the environment and things that do happen and try to stop them. Who do you think is to blame for climate change? Do you think anybody is? Um, I don't think it's just one person, not even two. Like, a few people in the world decided to, like, oh, how about I throw this piece of um, rubbish on the floor? That won't change anything. And then people start seeing it, start doing it more, thinking it's okay, but it's not. There's always going to be the people who are just crab it and just say that it's not happening. Those people are always going to be there and I think you've just got to accept that, accept their opinion and move on and do what you, as the person who wants to get rid of this, do it and then they'll be shown without having an argument with them, just show them. Mm. But like, you know, in like an arrogant way, just do it and then they'll see it. So when you say you think those people will always be there, do you mean there'll always be people in every generation who don't agree with you? Yeah, I think that's just a part of life. I don't think anyone's particularly to blame. If you want to blame someone, you blame us. You don't, like, say, oh, that was the Prime Minister seven years ago. He did this. Right. Do you think about the climate a lot or um, is it just part of I don't think about it a lot but I want to see it change right. it's not something I actively think about a lot do you think some people are to blame for climate change yes who's to blame for it the think? government the government are to blame for it how are they to blame for climate change <laughs> they want us to use coal and oil power which is which is what we use a lot which means that all of it will break the atmosphere So, one thing we can't do after all is assume the younger generation automatically blame the older generation for the changes we're seeing in the climate. And in fact, as for how those changes are literally noticeable over time, then it's the older generations that can offer some insight. There's a big difference with the climate. I do notice that. I mean, we don't get the hard, hard winters. We don't get the snowfall that we used to get. Um... And I don't actually, I wouldn't actually say that our summers are as warm as we used to get either. Mm. Because, well, I'm talking about childhood. The minute we got our summer holidays, you were in your bare feet and you ran about your bare feet bursting tarry bubbles. Right. And then you come in and your, and your, your toes were all uh, tar then. Um, it was a case your mother got either the butter or the margarine out and had to... Get the tar off your toes. That has significantly changed when you think what mm. our winters were like. When we first came up, right. you'd be driving through snow that was above roof height. If it wasn't for the devastating consequences, the thought of milder winters here in Scotland might appeal to some, but they're certainly not to everyone's liking. I can give you a superpower for one day, and you have to use it for good to change the climate. What would you do? What would you use it for? I would use ice to to cool out the the North and South Pole, which means that all the polar bears and Santa will get their homes back. 
Where does Santa live if it gets warm then? He lives in an iceberg. Okay. <laughs> well, with Santa's future hanging in the balance, who should be making the most effort to change things? Everyone. I think everyone, but especially like presidents and prime ministers and things. I think not one person can really make an entire world change. I think the society has to do it. I'd blame the government and tell them to go to prison. Then I'd be the new government and I'd make everything right. OK. Eli's day as the government may be a few years away yet. But right now, one of Scotland's youngest MSPs happens to be the minister responsible for Scotland's role on environmental issues. I went to talk to Mary McCallan at her office to find out how she came to that role and what it entails. Soon after you were elected MSP, you were appointed the Scottish Minister for the Environment, Biodiversity and Land Reform. That's a perfect fit for you. How did you come to that post? After I had been practising law, I had spent some time in the government uh, working for the First Minister on environment and climate change. So we had already okay. worked together. Um, and I think that the combination of that, together with my experience in the law, um, made her feel that I could be do a good job as the environment minister. And have you experienced any challenges in that role that you didn't see coming? I think time, hours in the day. Right, OK. probably <laughs> the biggest challenge. Um, because, you, you know, I'm pretty determined that you don't become an MSP unless you have all the energy to give to it. But, you know, I've got support to help me do that. Mary is also the MSP for Kuta and Lead Hills. But do the people in these remote villages believe they can really make a difference? Um, yeah, if we all work together. If we all work together, do you mean us all, the people, the government, businesses, everybody? Well, yeah, I think everyone would need to help to pull it off. Do you think we will have sorted it out by the time you're an adult? Hopefully, yeah. Do you think climate change will be sorted out by the time you're an adult? I, I don't really think it will, to be honest. Well, according to the experts, everybody should make a difference. I don't understand enough about it, but I think everybody should do their bit, and, and I think uh, whether it was too late in doing anything about it or not, I don't know. We're talking about worldwide, I mean, Britain is just a, a drop in the ocean, really, when you think. So do you think Scotland itself is too small to make a significant no, difference? No, I think they could... Well, I suppose every little helps. Ah. Uh -huh. Does that No. Well, I mean, I dare say the majority in Cooter, I would say everybody is aware of what, what they're supposed to do. Um, but then, uh, well, maybe that's wrong in saying that, because... If every small community like Cooter did, then it possibly would make would make would make a big impact. But right. um, but for the size of the place and for the size of Scotland and for the size of Britain, in comparison to the world, um, it's very very small. So, what would Mary have to say to the people who perhaps feel their contribution to the environmental situation is insignificant? I would respectfully disagree. Um, and I say respectfully because I can quite understand the way that views can change over time. We're living in a climate and nature emergency and Scotland is very fortunate to have ample scope 
to make our contribution to reducing our own emissions, but equally contributing to that in the world. So, you know, we have a natural environment that is going to help us rise to this challenge through peatland restoration, you know, native <clears throat> woodland creation and actually commercial woodland, which sequesters carbon very quickly. Um, green energy generation, blue carbon, proper soil management. It's all out there for us. And one of the things that um, I also have responsibility for in government is climate justice policy, which is the idea that whilst we start to see the impact of climate change here in Scotland now with coastal erosion and strange weather patterns, people around the world, particularly in the global south, mm. are experiencing the worst effects of it right now. So as we try and do everything we can to reduce our own emissions, we're also trying to be a helpful broker in the world of progress and supporting these communities mm. to build resilience. Right. Why is it still so important, even in remote rural communities, where the lichen grows and the mm. air is clean and what's to be upset about? Yeah, we're so fortunate, aren't we? But I think one of the reasons why it really matters is actually because so much of the action that we need to take in the next 20, 25 years is going to be in rural Scotland. Right. Um, you know, I mentioned those nature-based solutions to climate change, the trees the peatlands, all of that is going to happen in our rural communities. Now, what we need to make sure is that it doesn't just happen to the people of Lead Hills, it doesn't happen to the people of Cooter, and that actually they are engaged with these things that are happening around them and can benefit from it. Let's do it, but let's make sure that when we do it, the people who live and work in these areas can benefit from it and it's not just happening, you know, remote from them. Somewhere between the younger generation's optimism and the older generation's uncertainty is a demographic for whom climate change is a very real concern. Are you concerned about climate change? It's a bit of a scary thought, to be honest. No, you're quite right. There is, I certainly have found from my engagement that there is a, an age group from around high school into sort of early 30s, maybe a little bit younger, who suffer from climate anxiety. And they do that because they are so um, acutely aware of the problem and the magnitude of it, but don't always feel empowered and like they have the tools to do anything about it. Um, and of course, the way to try and combat that is to get organised, is to protest, is to demand action from people like me. Mm. Um, and I take my role, I think I'm still the youngest government minister, I take my role as a young person's voice in Scotland, in the government right. very seriously um, because it's it's all of these young people's future to inherit. But I think you're quite right about primary school because I have, um, I'll call her my niece, she's not actually my niece, my friend's daughter, who it was at the start of the, the, the summer uh, school break and I said to her, oh, you know, six weeks off, what are you going to do? Mm. She said, oh, well, I've applied to uh, South Lanarkshire Council for a litter picking kit, so I'm just going to get started okay. on that. <laughs> I just thought it was great because it's certainly not what I was arranging at the start of my summer holidays when I was her age. Um, but they are so alive to yeah. the issues um, and I hope will be the ecologists and environmentalists and first ministers of the future. So, Mary, as you know, I've been talking to the children at Lead Hills and Kuta Primary, and sure enough, some of them would like to ask you a few questions. Okay. Are you up for seeing if you can take such a grilling? Yes, I, ho I hope I am. Okay. I've got to say, my experience of primary school children is they are very brushed up on their uh, knowledge and their questions are always very searching, but yes. Well, I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think. Well, hopefully this is no exception to that. <laughs> 
were waiting to come from to the environment and I would like to know are Scotland doing enough for the environment? I'm Rory Mullen, I'm 12 years old and what are the government doing to combat climate change? On the first part, is Scotland doing enough to combat climate change? We're doing a lot, but it is no country could say that they are yet doing enough. If we say we are doing enough, we have already failed because the actions that we require to take now and right through until we reach net zero uh, will continue to be challenging and, and um, ever increasing, I expect. Um, and in terms of what the government are doing, well, in Scotland we have we have passed some laws which set what we still think are the strictest emissions reduction targets in the world. Um, that is to have reduced our emissions by 75% by 2030 and to have reached net zero by 2045. And these are underpinned by a legal commitment that we will get there fairly and we won't leave communities behind. Uh, so very, very challenging um, in all in all honesty, we haven't met every target yet. I'm not going to pretend that we have, but I think the public expect us to be as ambitious and to go as far as we possibly can, which we are still trying to do. And what will it take? It will take change across every single sector of our economy and our society. The way we travel, the way we heat our homes, our natural environment, um, the uh, products that we consume, the creation of plastics, the circulation of them in our in our um, economy, everything. Nothing is untouched by what we need to do to, to tackle climate change. The government has a plan. It's aptly called the Climate Change Plan. And we update it on a rolling basis to say, here's our targets, here's what we need to do, and here's how we're trying to get there. My name is Karis and I am 10, nearly 11 years old. My question is, um, what has the government got to do with global warming and the planet overheating? Or did it do anything to cause it at all? It's a very good question. I think that, so governments have changed throughout the world during the period in which climate change has become a problem. Um, I think there'll be scientists cringing if they hear me describe it this way. I'm not a scientist, but industrialization and industrial processes have contributed to global warming and the and the threat that we are now under and governments throughout the world including in Scotland have promoted industrialization in fact we've all benefited hugely from industrial processes um, and you know to be fair people at the time probably didn't understand the impact that it was having we understand it now and there's no excuse for not not acting my question was, when are things that were promised at COP26 actually happening? That is a very, very good question. Um, COP26, I was delighted to see it in Glasgow. I thought it was really good for Scotland and the UK. Um, and it was really good to see commitment on things like methane and, and afforestation. But the big question is exactly as Logan has posed it, when will these uh, commitments be acted upon. The trouble is when you are um, trying to beg, bring different countries of the world together and get them to move at the same time, that's very challenging. But for our part in Scotland, across the UK, the European Union, we must just keep pushing, uh, particularly for the big polluters to, to take the action that they need to. 
I'm Katie and I go to Kudra Primary School and I'd like to ask if there is one thing that we can do to make a big impact on the environment. Hi, I'm Ellen. I go to Kudra Primary School and I'm 11 years old and I want to know what's the most important thing that we can do for the environment by ourselves in our houses. Uh, they're very good questions and I think I would just want to answer it in two parts. First of all is to say that um, Yes, as individuals, we all have a role to play and I'll come back to that. But actually, I feel very strongly that the change that needs to be made should not be levelled on the back of individuals. It should be corporations, it should be governments, it should be the people who are genuinely in power and able to change things. Um, so, for example, as we do our recycling on an individual basis, that's really important and we're all playing our part. But if the producers, for example, of, of drinks and other uh, products continue to use single-use plastics um, you know they're making life difficult for us and actually they have the power to to change things on a larger scale um, but yes continue working on everything that you can do in your own in your own life think about recycling your products think about taking a journey on foot if you can although it's not easy for us here in rural communities um, but actually, for our young people in particular, the most important thing you can do is keep demanding change. Um, you know, come together. I know I don't know if any of, of you have are aware of the school strikes and things like that. They're a really good demonstration of young people saying, we will not put up with inheriting a world that's not fit to live in and uh, demand action of the people in power just now. My name is Lyra, I'm 10 years old. How long will it take to replace forests that have been taken down? I think that's it's a really good question and, and Lyra's absolutely right. Forests and um, looking after the ones we have and growing our forests is a really important part of climate change because, as I'm sure Lyra knows, they are the lungs of the earth. Um, and they, they absorb carbon from our atmosphere and they store it away. Um, we are actually, we have a very ambitious programme of uh, woodland creation in Scotland just now, underpinned by some, again, very ambitious targets, and we're trying to um, cover more of our ground in forests so that they can do that carbon sequestration and storage for us. And we try and do it with a combination of um, commercial planting, which is good for sequestration, it's good for building houses out of um, eco-friendly materials, but equally with native plantations that will support our biodiversity. I'm Tommy, I'm, I go to Kutter Primary School and I've got one thing to say. Have we done something wrong? I think I'll have to ask Tommy's teacher. <laughs> I'm sure you haven't, Tommy, uh, and certainly not in the environment space. Your, your generation are the ones, hopefully, who will make the change, not have not have caused the problems that we're in just now. I'm sure you've done nothing wrong. My name's Summer and I'm 12 years old and what's your favourite animal? Summer, it's a great question. Um, I love animals, all kinds of animals, but I have to say it's got to be the humble dog who is so loyal and friendly and always happy to see you. And of course, when they give you the big eyes, they encourage you to get out into your natural environment and take a walk and enjoy nature. So has to be the dog. Mary, thanks for talking to us on Our Own Words. Thank you. Lovely to chat to you. See you another time. Thanks a lot.
The sheer scope of the climate challenge may at first be overwhelming, but there are small practical ways in which we can all make a difference. One such way is by paying attention to things happening in our immediate environment, such as the decline of certain species. Which brings us back to Octavia and the Hedgehog Sanctuary. Today, the children of Leadhill School are visiting the sanctuary to learn more about the hedgehogs that stay there. Let's go to our on-the-spot reporter, Grace, to find out more. I'm at the Hedgehog Sanctuary in Leadhills on a very windy day, where the pupils of Leadhills Primary School are on a visit to find out more about hedgehogs. Let's begin by talking to Greta Clark, who runs the Hedgehog Sanctuary. Hello, Greta. How long have you been in Leadhills? 49 years. So when did you start the Hedgehog Sanctuary? With the school eight years ago, but I'd looked after hedgehogs for years before that. How many hedgehogs have you had through the sanctuary? In the sanctuary this year, not so many. Before we had 20 last year. Where do they go from here? They go back to the people who brought them to their own bits of garden or they go out into my garden. Is it true that hedgehogs are declining in numbers? Yes, they are declining. They're in rural areas. They are 30 to 70% down in numbers. In urban areas, they're not quite so bad because people with houses are looking after them. Is there a danger we could lose them altogether? No, because we will all keep helping to protect them as the school does and as I do and as the local area does. Thanks, Greta, and good luck with everything here. Bye. Let's talk to some of the pupils to find out what they think about things. What are some of the things that you've learned from this visit? That hedgehogs need help sometimes. Have you enjoyed this visit? Yes. Have you ever seen a live hedgehog before? No, that's in my first time. Very exciting. Have you enjoyed this visit? Yeah, it's been really interesting and fun. What are some of the things that you've learned from this visit? Well, hedgehogs are a lot more... They're not as, like, prickly as you thought. Should we be worried about hedgehogs going down in number? Yeah, it's, it's always sad to see, like, animals going down in numbers. That's just not very nice. Do you think it's important for the environment that we try and save them? Um, I'm not really sure what they contribute to in the environment. I don't really know, um, but I'm sure they probably do do something quite big that I just don't know. Do you think that we could lose them all together? I don't think we could lose them all, but I think there's still a high chance. But if places like Greta still exist, then we're probably going to keep them. I'm Grace from Leadhills Primary School, and I've been reporting for Our Own Words. In this series, we've asked residents in and around the communities of Lead Hills and Kuta to tell us how they think and feel about various issues, such as community, history, climate and environment. We've heard a range of perspectives from young and old and tried to understand how they feel these issues directly affect them and their communities, as well as creating a conversation in which they can listen to each other. Next time, we'll be finding out about mental health and well-being. Until then, it's goodbye from me and Octavia. Our Own Words is a big mono production. It was written and presented by Jack Henderson. 
and was made possible with the help of South Lanarkshire Renewable Energy Fund.